You are listening to the Running With God podcast. More than nominal Christianity. Well, I would like to welcome all of our listeners to the Running With God podcast. My name is Jeremy Darby, and I'm an avid distance runner and a Jesus Christ follower. I'm not ashamed to say that. And the purpose of this podcast is to marry those two concepts. I believe that I have a great number of runners in the listening audience and also a great number of Christians that may have come across this podcast just because you're looking for some words of encouragement. And I hope you'll stay with us and and help me grow uh, this ministry that I've been called to do. And this podcast does ultimately have a goal. And that goal is to combat what I call nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity actually has a definition. Um, Nominal Christianity is defined by churchgoers or otherwise religious people whose faith does not go beyond being identified with a church, a Christian group, or a denomination. Um, They are Christians in name only. Christ has no bearing on their lives. Nominal Christians may attend church and church functions, and they may self-identify as Christians, but it is just a label. Their religion primarily is a social construct, and they do not allow it to require much of them in terms of morality, and responsibility. They take a minimalist approach to their faith. And this is just something I've been burdened with over the past few years because the more I look at the Christian landscape in America today, the more I see nominal Christianity. Um, Churchgoers who uh, feel vindicated by going to church service on a Sunday but not living for God the remainder of the week, not getting into the Word, and not participating in the kingdom of God, not looking for opportunities to ministry to others, ultimately not seeking the will of God. And when I think back to myself as a runner, I've been a runner for over 25 years. I've run numerous distances, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. I've even run two full marathons and spent over 10 years serving one of the high schools in my area as the track and cross country coach and was blessed to get to know a number of great uh, runners, get, get to coach them and win some championships. And it was just a wonderful experience. But if there is anything that being a runner has taught me is that one cannot whimsically become a runner overnight. Running Uh, especially distance running, Um, if you take the marathon distance, for example, it takes preparation. It takes nutrition. It takes a a workout plan. It takes a goal mindset. It is a decision you make each and every day when you wake up that you are going to make your fitness and your running a priority. Um, The miles um, have to be logged. Um, The time spent out um, in the open air Uh, preparing your body for something as taxing as what it means to race 26.2 miles is is very intense and it is not for the faint of heart and when I see the Christian landscape today I, I just don't see Christians putting that type of commitment into their Christian walk the way that a runner would put commitment into training for a marathon and that bothers me and 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 that is um encapsulated in this concept known as nominal 
Christianity. And I'm afraid that the modern church today has attempted to redefine Jesus. We've, we've attempted to put him in a pair of khakis, uh, put him in a polo shirt, um, uh, pretend that he's this middle-class person that's okay with nominal devotion, that's okay with a minimalist approach to religion, um, that doesn't require very much of us in the form of, of sin or repentance um, and sacrifice. In a way, we've found a way to just make Jesus look a lot like who we want him to be. But the question that I have to ask is, have we ever really come to Jesus on his terms? One of my favorite speakers is Pastor David Platt. He's written a series of books, and he actually has his own podcast called Radical. I would love to have Pastor Platt on this podcast one day. Uh, hopefully that will be the case. But, but in his book, Radical, David begins to describe what it means to really come to Jesus on his terms, what he calls basic requirements for discipleship. Now, these are entry-level requirements for discipleship. This is not for an exclusive group like uh, career ministers or pastors. These are basic requirements for discipleship for anyone that proclaims to be a Christ follower. So these are Jesus's terms. Number one, Jesus requires superior love. The book of Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 clearly says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. These are the words of Jesus. He didn't say, love all of your family members, love your spouse, love your children, and then give me the scraps. He clearly said that a love for me has to surpass any love that you have for anything or any person or, or any career or anything for that matter. It, it pales in comparison to the love that you show me because when you give me love, you give me all that you have. Those are the words of Jesus. Number two, Jesus requires exclusive loyalty. In the book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 25 through 27, um, beginning at verse 25, it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And there's a lot to unpack here in this verse. First of all, to many who are reading this, it may not make a lot of sense because it may appear that Jesus is asking you to hate your mother, father, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Um, and, and that is not the case. We certainly know that Jesus calls us to honor our parents. He knows that uh, we know that he calls us to to be faithful to your spouse and to love your wife and for husbands to, to cherish your wives and for wives to cherish your husbands. Um, what he is simply saying is that when it comes to a relationship with me, you have to be willing to walk away from those things if I call you to do so. It's an exclusive type of loyalty. Now, we don't know everything there is to know about Jesus' 12 disciples, but we do know from Scripture that one of his closest disciples, Simon Peter, did in fact have a mother-in-law because there is a part of the New Testament that describes when Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law's house. So that would mean naturally that Peter had a wife. If he has a mother-in-law, he have to have had a spouse. 
that also carries with it the potential that he may have had children. And for most of the New Testament, we see Peter walking with Jesus, ministering uh, to the Gentile nations, taking the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. And we have to assume that in many cases, the disciples were walking away um, from the comfort of family life and from the relationships that they had with their children and also with their spouses. And in verse 27, Jesus clearly says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now today, the cross tends to not carry as severe of a meaning. I mean, this would be the equivalent of taking a tool of torture or a weapon of destruction or something that is used to execute somebody and carrying it on your back. You are literally a dead man walking. In Old Testament times and New Testament times, you would never uh, see anybody from that time period wearing or adorning uh, around their neck a golden cross. Now, we see that everywhere in the world today, especially those that identify as Christians. They carry it as a symbol of what Jesus has done for them. But put yourself in the shoes of somebody in the first century. Jesus is clearly saying that following me could very well mean an end to the identity and the life that you have created for yourself. You have to follow me all the way to the grave if that's what it takes. And if you're not willing to do that, then you cannot be my disciple. Number three, Jesus requires a change in our priorities. Uh, at some point in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 34 through 38, the disciples have come back to Jesus. He has spent a lot of time ministering to others, and they, they're not really sure that he's eaten. So they offer him something to eat, and they say, Lord, have you eaten anything? Can we get you any food? And in verse 34, Jesus responds, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. See, when it comes to Jesus, Oftentimes we see these images of Jesus where he literally preaches and teaches right through mealtime um, to the point of exhaustion, to the point of starvation. Jesus has very different priorities for himself and calls us to have different priorities for ourselves in return. And number four, Jesus requires that we die to the life that we live. Paul reiterates this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I, Christ, liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It requires us to abandon this identity that we've created for ourselves. Our identities that were not part of God's design to begin with are 
ultimate rebellion against God. And any rebellion against God is sin. That is the definition of sin. God has this wonderful design for marriage. He has this wonderful design for life. He has this design for families and how they're to operate. He has a design for our laws, for our government. And anytime we stray away from those designs, that, in essence, is sin. And that includes our identities as well. We've spent lifetimes trying to figure out who we are and define success and and figure out um, what we need to look like in the world in which we live. And that human identity that we've defined for ourselves is ultimately one more sin that is rebellious against God. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, God says, let me show you who you really are. And it is something amazing, something that is unfathomable. I fear today that modern Christians have tried to soften the words of Jesus to try to justify the way that we live. Let me give you an example. Modern Christianity today, those of you that go to a church that see people walk the aisle and come forward and profess to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, modern Christianity today often only requires two core questions and answers that are correct to those two core questions. Question number one, do you believe that you are a sinner? Question number two, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Most modern Christians would have easily answered yes to both of those questions, but the problem is Satan himself could answer yes to those same two questions. And Jesus has been pleading with us for centuries through the book of the Holy Bible. He has been saying, please count the cost of following me because it costs you very much to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite quotes about nominal Christianity. It comes from a book called Basic Christianity by John R. W. Stott. And I just want to read this to you. It's very profound. The Christian landscape is strewn with wreckage of derelict, half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow Him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved Enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. The message of Jesus was very different. He never lowered his standards or modified his conditions to make his call more readily acceptable. He asked his disciples and he asked every disciple since to give him their thoughtful and total commitment 
nothing less than this will do. That is just a very, very profound quote. And when you really think about it, you see a Christian landscape today of half-built towers where people have professed Christ with their names, but they have yet to live for Him in their lives because they failed to count the cost. They had sin in their life that they were not willing to turn away from. I read about a very concerning survey done in the year 2020 by Lifeway Research, and it revealed that 52% of Americans and 30% of evangelical Christians say that they believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but that he was not God. 30% of people who claim to be evangelical Christians are saying that, they, that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. I believe that that survey points to staggering evidence that many have not come to Jesus on his turn. You can't convince me that you've truly answered the call of Christ if you can't even acknowledge that he was more than just a good teacher. I often find that people that try to convince me that Jesus was just a good teacher, oftentimes they have not a clue as to anything he said or anything he did because good teachers never proclaim to be God. Good teachers like Gandhi and Confucius never heal leprosy or perform miracles, and they most certainly do not forgive sin. Um, but there is some scripture that has to do with this concept of nominal Christianity, and it is quite scary. And the subtext, the subheading, I should say, of this scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, the subtext in my Bible actually says, true and false disciples. And I've shared with many of my friends at church that this, to me, is the most uh, disturbing scary scripture that there is in the Bible today because it points to the reality that there are a lot of confused nominal Christians out there that think they have found the narrow gate, that they are on the narrow road heading in the right direction, but in fact they are on the broad road heading through the broad gate with uh, people that don't even profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. And Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? and in your name perform many miracles. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus says, And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I find it interesting in verse 23 that Jesus doesn't say that you never knew me because he said plainly in verse 21 that lots of people proclaim to know Jesus. But he says in verse 23, he says, I never knew you. And to know Jesus, I believe, is to know and seek and pursue his will. To seek and pursue what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the whole purpose of this podcast. I want to pursue true discipleship. I want to run with God. I don't want there to be any question about the life that I live and how it glorifies and reflects the love of Jesus and what He has for the rest of the world. And this podcast is something that that has been brewing in my life. It is something that I felt the need to create to combat nominal Christianity. I am waging war against nominal Christianity. And in future episodes of this podcast, I hope to provide some great examples of things, practical things that you can do in your life to combat nominal Christianity on a personal level. And I also want you to be a part of the discussion. I want to encourage you to reach out to the Running With God podcast by emailing us at runningwithgodpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, reach out to us at runningwithgodpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to get feedback on our pilot episode. And let's open the conversation. Let's get this thing going. Let's talk about where we see nominal Christianity in our lives and in the lives of those that we attend church with. And let's combat it. Let's get serious about it. Our time is limited, and I do not want to be a false disciple of Christ. I want to be a true disciple of Christ. And what makes discipleship so great is the communal aspect. We have each other. We're walking with Jesus together. So let's encourage one another. Let's continue on this journey together. And let's be more than nominal. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for listening to the Running With God podcast, More Than Nominal Christianity. Help us get the conversation started. Send us an email at runningwithgodpodcast at gmail.com.